I don't I don't do a lot with the news, honestly, but I read this story that I had to I had to share this story with you. Read it this week. It's about a lady who she hid her identity, okay? Hid her identity because she had a particular man in mind that she wanted to impregnate her. So she hid her identity, dressed up actually like a prostitute, seduced this guy, brought him in, ended up pregnant with, uh, pregnant, did not, he didn't realize it, he didn't know anything about what was going on. It turns out that that he was a prominent figure in this particular area and didn't want anyone to know about this rendezvous. It turns out because of his power and prestige, he has the ability to have her punished. So when she turned up publicly pregnant three months later, he issued the call to execute her. He's going to have her burned. Okay? And when all of a sudden, she cunningly produced some of his personal effects, which completely incriminated him in front of everyone. This upstanding guy then had to admit that he had visited a prostitute. Now she was pregnant with his kid. Keeps going. She didn't have one kid. She ended up having twins. You think this is a joke. It's not. But the most interesting twist is, do you know that one of those kids that came out of this act of deception and seduction and all this stuff, ended up being, one of the kids ended up being the ancestor of the most powerful ruler in the world. Now, that actually, that part hasn't happened yet, the ruler thing, but like he's going he's gonna to rule the whole world. But his lineage can be traced back to this tale of intrigue and concealed identity, which started with this lady hatching up this plan. It's an amazing story. Did you hear it? Did you read it this week? Yeah, it's incredible. And they say the Old Testament is boring. It's Tamar and Yehuda, right? Judah. And Tamar. And it's stuck right in the middle of Parsha Vayeshev. But it sounds like it could be trending number one on Netflix. Like you could, you could really do an awesome series about this. And actually the whole Parsha, all of Vayeshev could be a great series about how the world lives and functions and how people treat each other. And Tamar and Judah right here in the middle of the portion are bookended by who? The saga of Joseph begins. This week, we've worked all the way through to coming to the end of Genesis. But, but both, Tamar and Judah, Joseph, these could pull number one billing on the streaming platform of your choice if they were made into a really good film. <clears throat> coming soon. From best-selling author, God. Deception, pain, an innocent hero, a teeter on the edge of life and death, fighting for justice and for the world to know who they really are. A 12-part series. Vayeshev. See? It could work. But wait. Joseph, I get. Okay? Joseph, I get. We're, we're, we're starting the Joseph thing, and clearly Joseph is a, he's a, he's a type He's a type of Yeshua. He's a, a, like a forerunner. He's a, a points to Yeshua. He's a hero to the family. Technically, technically, he's a hero to us. 
the savior of Israel at that particular point in time. But right in the middle of it, Tamar. Now, at first off, this seems really awkwardly placed right in the middle of a book about Joseph's troubles. We'll see that it's not for a number of reasons. But right now the question is, how is this lady who dressed up like a prostitute seduced Judah into fornication, out of wedlock, impregnated, and scheming to make all of this happen and stay alive, how is it that the Torah and Judaism ascribe heroin status to Tamar? That it seems inconsistent. And first off, let's, let's just cheer the Torah yet again for bringing us some real-life drama, lessons of life from real people with real feelings and real problems. And we'll talk plenty about Joseph as we close out the book of Genesis. But I, couldn't, I don't want to miss a chance to talk about this unlikely heroine because we don't honestly talk about righteous women enough. There are a lot of them. In the Torah, there are a lot of them in this room. But, hold it again. Righteous. <laughs> Is righteous to describe Tamar? Is that, can we do that? I've already told you the story. I don't need to tell you again. It was, she's dressed up as a prostitute, get Judah, you know, and, and that's the short story. But why? And is that okay? Can we say that that type of behavior designates her as righteous? But keep in mind, Tamar makes the genealogy of Yeshua. I'm talking about it's spelled out in Matthew 1. She is one of three women mentioned in Yeshua's genealogy. Who are the others? Rahab. Ruth, Bathsheba's in there, but she doesn't get a name. These three unique women are the ones, and Tamar, after this behavior, gets noted in Matthew 1. And Judah says these words about her. She is more righteous than I. Now, actually, if we look at Judah's behavior, that doesn't actually seem that hard to do, does it? Judah lied. He deceived her by telling her that he was going to give her a son to marry. He never intended to do that. Judah's wife died, and that's sad. Okay, that's sad. And then he hired a prostitute. Now, that opens up a whole world of ethical questions about that being in the Bible and Judah. And, and, and he was also very quick to judge her for being with child. He literally said, we're going to burn her. Burn her. It doesn't seem hard to be more righteous than that, but what's happening? What about Tamar? Well, let's talk about another heroine. Tamar is one, and I want you to think back to another story of deception, at least concealment committed by another lady of the Torah, and make this interesting connection. It also had to do with children, with lineage, with generations, and with doing what was right. Remember who I'm talking about. It's only been a couple of weeks. Rivka, another woman of great determination. She did not hesitate to take action to conceal the truth in order to bring about the proper course of action. Now, in Rebecca's case, we discussed this at length. 
we discussed, is she a heroine or is she, did she get ahead of God? Did Rebecca save the day or did she indeed cause years of sadness and torment for her family? Well, we ended that by saying, we don't get to decide that. That's, that's just a question. That's sometimes what we do in Torah study. This or that. I don't know. Okay, next. But all of a sudden here, we find ourselves studying another woman, Tamar, who's taking it into her own hands. And unlike the Torah, I mean, unlike Rebecca, where the Torah doesn't say anything negative about Rebecca, of course. But you also don't note Isaac saying to her, Rivka, thank you for saving things. You are so, you're more righteous than I. Isaac doesn't really acknowledge that behavior and, and, and that she had done the right thing. But with Tamar, there is the explicit realization of Judah. He says, the guy who had been deceived, the guy who, who said she has a character of righteousness. That is an explicit statement, and implicitly, she's in the lineage of Messiah. You know, we, we, we don't find Rebecca in the lineage of Messiah. So, Tamar, why, how, what's different? I mean, it seems that she, too, used deception to achieve what she thought was the right course of action. Judah had said, I will give you my son when he's older. Why didn't she just wait and see how it worked out. That's what we talked about with Rebecca. Why didn't she wait? Well, she did. She did wait. Tamar's three chances. Her husband, Ur, was... I mean, that name almost seems like it needs to be scratched out. Like I was going to say David, Ur. No, Ur is gone. God said Ur is evil in his sight, and he wiped him out. That was Tamar's first husband, okay? Then her, his brother, her brother-in-law, Onan, was expected to step up to the plate, meaning Judah told him, go into your brother's wife, perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. That is a commandment later in the Torah. And I know some people in the room are going, thinking about what that would be. <laughs> it's a commandment. It is called yibum. It's a great name. Yiboom in the Torah. Leveret marriage. Leveret marriage. The word in Latin, livir, means brother's husband. Leveret marriage. Deuteronomy 25 in the Torah we read, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family. Remember that. Not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. Onan was supposed to take care of his brother's memory by giving Tamar a child. And Onan did some weird things that we just, you know, the Bible, man, it's a crazy book. It says that Onan spilled his seed on the ground rather than giving Tamar the child she was due, the child that was to, to carry on her first husband's memory. Onan was weird. 
And God didn't like Onan for what he did, so he killed him too. And then there's one more son, Shelah. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. Judah is saying, Shelah will be the one to perform the yibum, the rite of love at marriage for you, Tamar. Go live with your father. We'll be in touch. He had no intention of being in touch. Why? Because he viewed Tamar as a black widow. She'd already killed two of his sons, according to his perception. He has no intention, for he feared, fear, for he feared, for, Sorry, I'll be speaking as Rabbi Elmer Fudd, for, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. That's what he said about Shelah. He said, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Go away. Go live with your father. We'll be in touch. But as far as Tamar was concerned, she did exactly what she was told to do. Now understand something about that. Tamar is in limbo. Tamar is in Hebrew called an aguna. She is a, a, a woman, a trapped woman. She is a trapped woman. She is a childless widow, unable to marry Sheila because of Judah's fear, legally bound to marry her brother-in-law by the right of Yeboom, she can't marry anyone else. And therefore, she is unable to marry. She is unable to carry on the name of her husband, which is her thing. And because of their behavior, she can't do it. She can't find a new husband. She's trapped. She desired to honor her husband and bring the offspring of the family of the patri patriarchs. And that was her right. She had waited. She had done as she was told. So she takes matters into her own hands. The very thing that we said when talking about Rebecca, you really better think twice before you get ahead of God. You better really, really know. We talked about the, her possible overstep in doing that. But there's a difference here between Rebecca and Tamar. Do you know what it is? An injustice has and is occurring. Present tense. Tamar has been wronged. She has been lied to. Her life is in limbo. She is unable to move forward with her life in relationship and as a mother. She is not assuming the worst. She is not really stepping ahead of God for what might happen. First off, Tamar didn't get any, as far as we know, Tamar didn't get any prophecy from God to say, hey, listen, you're going to have a child and he's going to be, you know, it's going to be incredible. She didn't have that. She, she apparently knows nothing of the future plans for her children other than it's her responsibility to make them to honor her husband. And this is the key, though. Tamar is not assuming the worst. When we studied Rebecca, we noted she took matters into her own hands because of the scenario she created and saw unfolding. Do you remember it? She overheard the blessing of Isaac wanting to bless Esau, and she said, Oh, no, I know where that's going to go. I know Isaac's going to screw this up. I got to get in there and fix it. When Jacob heard that Esau was coming to him with 400 men, he just knew what? He's coming to kill me. 
So he assumed the worst and he made a, a plan. Got to get out of here. But Tamar is not making any assumptions. She doesn't have any foreboding issues of anything. She is in the prison of Aguna. And she's not saying, oh my goodness, if that happens, then this will happen. And I've got to... Judah had made it clear he wasn't going to do the right thing. So at this point, she will either stay trapped, an Aguna for life, or step up. So she devises a plan. But she lied. She lied. She deceived Judah. How can, how can this be? And here's the really interesting thing. She had every right to. She had every right to. Because Judah first of all, was not doing the right thing with his last son by giving her to him. But this is really important. He was not living up to his personal responsibility with himself. Because remember, leveret marriage in the Torah later talks about brothers coming in to do that. Before it was given in the Torah, it was a family member. It was not that specific. And so what we're finding out here is that... It was possible. This was Judah's duty of righteous behavior if he wasn't going to have his son do it. And so once again, we find in Tamar this interesting application of Yeshua's words in Matthew 10. Be cunning as serpents, innocent as doves. Now, when people hear the term serpent, they immediately think of the snake in the garden and the devil and all this other kind of stuff. That's obviously not what he's saying. He's saying be, be wise like a fox. Be, this is a relevant application. As I said, Tamar was reacting to the reality of her situation. She'd been wronged. She apparently was going to stay wronged. And so when dealing with injustice that has or is occurring, be cunning. Sometimes you have to, not like the devil, but like a sly fox, take action. But do it, and this is most important, with the proper intention, the innocence of the dove. It was for the right reason. It was for a holy purpose. Now, hence, we can understand Judah's response when he has been busted. She is more righteous than I am. She is more righteous since I did not give her to my son and he did not know her again. I'll fix that for you in a second. How can I say she's wrong when I'm the one who has failed? And Judah does a couple of things right. First of all, he never engaged with her again. He never did that thing that you do that makes babies with people dressed up like prostitutes. He didn't do those things ever again. He demonstrates that righteousness in, I mean, he was very close to killing an innocent person who he had wronged, but he did something else incredible, and my goodness, I wish this happened more. Judah's a man of standing. Judah was busted, and Judah owned it. He owned it. He stood up and said, it's me. It's me. Something that we rarely see people of position or power or prestige do. He acknowledged, I have done bad. I caused this deception. This was my fault. I didn't give her my son. I didn't perform the necessary action to keep my own son's memory alive. And I did lay with a prostitute. 
I did it. I did not have. I did it. (laughs) Judah demonstrates righteousness through his humility. Good for him. And that humility, though, demonstrated by Judah is one reason why this story is stuck right here between Joseph's story. In Joseph's saga, humility is important, but more on that next week. Tomorrow is our current subject. What have we learned? Tamar was a victim in multiple ways, actively being wronged. She was not assuming the worst. She was pursuing a proper and holy end. She knew her rights and she acted. So in some ways, she is considered righteous in her seeming unrighteous behavior. And she did all of this so that this child would be born. But that is not what Tamara is most famous for. At least in the area of righteousness in Jewish thought. And this is our important conclusion to Tamar. And to understanding one reason why this story makes an appearance here again in the middle of the Joseph story. Here we find something much more applicable to our lives. Because we are not a culture that subscribes to the idea of leveret marriage. Thank God. But we are certainly a culture, a species. Interesting, I think, the only one that subscribes to the idea of taking revenge on someone who has wronged you. Tamar could have destroyed Judah. She crafted this beautiful, perfect plan. She had him. She could have destroyed him. And believe me, Judah knew. But you see, Tamar's action never, ever included a thought of destruction or even humiliation by the way she handled it. Judah knew. He says, I mean, he, he sends his friend the day after to go get his stuff back and give her a goat. Guess that's how that worked back then. <laughs> to give her a kid, but he got two kids out of us. I don't know, but he sends his friend back and his friend says, I can't find her. I like, they said she's not, there was never a prostitute here. So she had vanished with his stuff. And Judah says, you know what? Leave it. I did the right thing. I sent the goat that I promised I was going to send her. Leave it. In other words, we'll be a laughingstock. If people find out what I did, just let it die. Don't give this any oxygen. It's over. Okay? But she had the goods. And she could have taken him out. Little did he know. Tamar was smart. She was cunning as a serpent, but her cunning contained humility and mercy because she had the right to seek recompense, revenge even, to embarrass Judah, but she remained above reproach. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned when she showed up pregnant. And she was being brought out. She sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are the signet and the cord and the staff. Now I want you to consider the risk she took to do this. On the way to her death, 
She counts on the character of a man who had not demonstrated character to her up to this point. That's bravery. That's bravery. That's trust that God would see it through. That's a big risk. But from it, the sages derive a dictum that is attributed to Tamar. Of course, they only make it masculine, but it is better that a person throw himself into a fiery furnace rather than shame his neighbor in public. It is better that a person throw him or herself into a fiery furnace rather than shame his neighbor in public. Again, remember, she had him. He was caught red-handed. And as I said earlier, thank God Judah stepped up and his character did show through. But this explains his statement. She is more righteous than I. He was quick to judge. She was merciful. She held him to account in mercy and in humility and forced him to come to terms with himself. We can gather a little hint of connection about one reason why, again, the story makes its appearance in Vayeshev around Joseph, sandwiched between Joseph. That's just getting started because Joseph will exemplify the very same Attribute the very same righteousness of mercy and humility and forgiveness to people who did him so wrong, but he chose mercy. And so you see Tamar as a heroine of the Bible, a, a ancestor of our Messiah. It's a very hard thing to do, and yet our master applies it for all of us. You see, Tamar, in a sense, turned the other cheek. Now, it should never be assumed that we are expected to tolerate injustice. That's not what that means. We can, we should protect ourselves. We're not punching bags. And tomorrow, thank God, took action. But she stopped short of the that Judah deserved. She stops short of slapping him, assassinating his character. In a sense, she turned the other cheek. Her humility, her righteousness was conviction enough for Judah. And sometimes, while we are not commanded to just sit there and take it, our actions of mercy and humility speak volumes. When we don't seek revenge and we leave it to God or to the individual. We can't know how that will work out. Only, only that in this life or the next, we will answer for what we've done. And Tamar chose the proper course to err on the side of mercy and forgiveness. And Judah got the message. And on some level, we all feel for Tamar, don't we? I mean, we always feel for the innocent victim. But Tamar never demonstrates the character of a victim. That also makes her beautiful and strong and a heroine. She is an overcomer like Jacob, like Joseph, and like you are all called to be. Shabbat shalom.